G'day everybody, welcome back to Stocks from Scratch. I'm your host Ross, into our third episode, hey? Ball is rolling. Alright, so last week we talked about how to get things started by, you know, opening a stock account and delved into ETFs and individual stock picking, remembering that ETFs, exchange-traded funds, are those baskets of many different stocks within them that we pay someone a really, really small amount of money to manage for us. So this week, we're going to dive deeper into ETFs, okay? This is going to be all about ETFs, learning how to navigate all the different types and how to buy them. So let's get stuck into it. So I may have been a bit biased towards individual stocks last week, but the reality is that the overall best approach for most people is to use a combination of both ETFs and individual stocks, okay? And there are a few reasons for doing it like this. The first is when you're first starting out, uh, you want to just get into the market as quickly and easily as possible. And this makes ETFs the best way to go. Another bonus of getting into ETFs first is that it will mean you can get diversified right from the get-go. Remembering that ETFs are those big baskets, lots of different stocks in them from lots of different industries, which means that we won't lose all our money when one industry goes down. The second good reason for using ETFs is that at any point in time, there might not be that many individual stock opportunities available, right? We might be in a highly priced market where everything's really expensive and so you've kind of got no individual stock pick ideas that are out there. Okay, And this might be the case when you're first starting out, probably, um, or at any given point in your investing career. So sometimes there's going to be lots of opportunities, other times there won't be any. Either way, if you still want to get into the stock market, which you should be, and there's no individual stocks out there for your liking, ETFs are a great way to be in the stock market and start making your money work for you rather than just sitting there waiting. Because we remember, ETFs don't fall that much, so we're not really risking our money. We can kind of think of ETFs almost as like our new bank account in the world of zero interest rates, okay? So now we know why we're getting into ETFs. The next step is picking which ETF to get into, right? Now there's a whole lot, there's so many different types out there, guys, uh, especially on the US market but I like to keep it simple and I'm going to split them into two different categories. There's Vanguard ETFs and non-Vanguard ETFs. The non-Vanguard ETFs are pretty much just everything else. Okay, so Vanguard and everything else. Now, what is Vanguard? What is that? Um, Vanguard is the name of the company that created the concept of an ETF about 20 years ago. Okay, so, bit of a history lesson, impress people at a party or something. Before ETFs were around, um, the most similar thing to them were what are called mutual funds, okay? And these are like financial companies which manage your money for you, okay? Just like uh, Wolf of Wall Street, okay? Um, but what these mutual funds did is they took a, lo- a much larger commission than what ETFs do. So Vanguard is pretty much the inventor of ETFs. And so why do I categorize them differently or separately from the non-Vanguard ones? That's because the Vanguard ones offer the lowest commission on, of all ETFs out there, okay? And they do this by having very generalized, very broad ETFs that will invest in many different industries. So that's Vanguard. They created it, lowest commission rates, very broad in general. 
The other category is the non-Vanguard ETFs, okay? And these are just all the other companies out there which make their own ETFs, like Vanguard do. There's beta shares, iShares, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you'll see it in the name of the ETF. These non-Vanguard ones, they have larger commission rates. Sorry, that, that is quite important. The, the, the name of the company, whether it's Vanguard or someone else, it'll always be in the name of the ETF before you buy it, so you'll know. Um, so yeah, so the non-Vanguard ones, they're going to have larger commission rates, okay? And what they offer in return for this is they offer more specifically themed or what I call niche ETFs. There are hundreds of different niche non-Vanguard ETFs out there, okay? From space travel ETF to cannabis ETF, everything you can imagine. And just to make it more complicated, there's multiple cannabis ETFs and there's multiple space travel ETFs, all right? Now, the thing to be weary of with these niche-themed ones is that they tend to be a basket of stocks that are all in a similar industry, right? The cannabis ETFs are all going to be cannabis companies, okay? And so you're not going to get that diversification that we were talking about that you get with Vanguard ETFs, okay? Because the Vanguard ones always, always have multiple industries within them, whereas these niche-themed ones are going to be all in one industry, okay? The good thing about this, having them all in one industry, is that if an industry booms, great, you're going to get better returns than the Vanguard. But I would be extremely careful with these niche ones, okay? And the reason why is this. They tend to follow trends, all right? So if um, cannabis is getting its way to legalization or sports betting is getting its way to legalization or just some new industry is booming, heaps of ETFs for that industry are going to come out, okay? And they're going to be really popular, which means the ETF is going to be expensive, okay? It's going to be expensive, which, as we'll learn, means that it's more likely to go down than it is to go up, okay? So... Um, yeah, and so as a general rule, you never want to buy the hot or popular stocks, okay? Because they're usually more, the hot ones, the cool ones, the trendy ones are usually very expensive. And if we remember, one of the two ways to lose money in stocks is you pick the wrong company or you pay too high a price for it, okay? However, despite my smashing of the niche non-Vanguard ones, there's a role for both, okay? And so what I would do or what I do in my portfolio is this. Okay, this is not financial advice for you. I don't know your financial position. I don't know how old you are. This is just education. All right. So this is what I do. Um, I split my portfolio into individual stocks and ETFs. Okay. And the split ratio is going to simply depend on how many individual stock opportunities are out there for me. Okay. But when you first start out, you'll probably have no individual stock ideas. And so it's going to be mostly ETFs. All right. So if there's lots of individual stocks out there, I've got most of my money in individual stocks. If there's not a lot of individual stock opportunities out there, I've got my money in ETFs mostly, okay? So then for the ETFs component, all right, I then split that into Vanguard and the non-Vanguard or the niche ones. And I have, me personally, I pretty much all my money, all my ETF money in the Vanguard ones, in the very general cheap Vanguard ones, okay? Because the whole reason for our ETFs in our portfolio is we just want to be in the market very safely, okay? 
the Vanguard ETFs do not go up and down that much, whereas the niche ones, they can go up and down just like an individual stock can. So I have my ETF money all in my Vanguard ETFs mostly, okay, while I wait for individual stock opportunities to come up. And then, so yeah, so let's say there's no individual stock opportunities when you start out. I put all my money in the Vanguard ETFs and we'll learn which ones to pick. I put all my money in the Vanguard ETFs. Maybe I've got a good feeling about the tourism industry bouncing back. So I've got a bit of, bit of money in a tourism travel ETF, whatever. Um, and then as individual stock opportunities come up, let's say Disney pops up at a good price in a couple months, I would just sell you know, a portion of my ETF money and I would then buy, use that money to buy Disney stock. Okay, and then now I've got, you know, a bit of individual stock and ETFs. And then if another one comes up, let's say Ralph Lauren, you know, becomes a good buy, I would then sell more ETF money and put it in Ralph Lauren and so on and so forth. And so you can see how you'll always be in the market. All this money is going to be invested somehow. And then the split between individual stocks and ETFs will just depend on how many individual stock picks are out there for you. All right. So, yeah, so like I said, in my personal opinion, I'd put most of my ETF money with the Vanguard ETFs because they're going to give you the average stock market return rate of 9 to 10%, um, whereas with the niche ones, you can still lose or gain a lot of money um, depending on how that industry goes. But remember, I'm in ETFs just to be in the market for a bit until individual stuff comes up. I'm not trying to make heaps of money on my ETF money just trying to get a little bit for now. Um, but there is a role for the niche ETFs, okay? And if you remember last week, again, I remember I mentioned two ways to lose money and I'm going to just keep hammering this <laughs> rule into you. Two ways to lose money, pick a bad company or pay too high a price, okay? The problem with ETFs, as I mentioned last week, you don't know what price you're paying for them because they have so many different stocks within them and each stock is worth a different amount and blah, blah, blah. This isn't a big issue with the Vanguard ETFs um, because they have so many different companies within them. They'll just all average out to the average stock market return of 9 to 10%. However, with the niche ETFs, it's more of an issue because you're depending on the success of one specific industry. So best way to use the niche ETFs is to buy them when there's a downturn in a specific industry. Okay, There's a downturn in a specific industry the niche ETFs related to that industry will fall. And then if you believe that industry is going to eventually rebound, then that would be a good time to buy that niche ETF. For example, if you believe travel is going to rebound after coronavirus, which I personally think it will, um, maybe not as quickly as some people think, but it still will rebound eventually, um, then a travel ETF would be a good buyer right now. Okay, And this is the main way I'd use the niche ETFs. Buy them opportunistically. Buy them in the same way that we buy individual stocks, but we don't need as much research and effort for the niche ETFs because we just need to know that an industry has gone down. We don't need to know that a specific company has gone down. And you will know um, through the resources I'll tell you guys about through this podcast, you will know from those resources when an industry is in turmoil. Just like you know that um, airline industry and tourism right now is completely stuffed. It's usually quite obvious. Okay, so we've established the role of ETFs in your portfolio, the Vanguard and the niche ones. So let's dig into some of the specific Vanguard ETFs that are out there. 
okay? Because they all have some funny names which require a bit of deciphering. You'll feel pretty clever after learning all this Wall Street jargon. Uh, might even drop a few at your next dinner party. <laughs> yeah, no, don't do that. Um, okay, so the first thing we need to come acquainted with, first word, is cap, all right? This is short for market capitalization, which simply means the net worth of a company on the stock market. Now, so cap means market capitalization, which means the value of a company on the stock market, okay? Right now, Apple is worth $1.3 billion, $1.3 trillion, okay? So the market cap or the net worth of Apple is $1.3 trillion. Simple Google search will tell you that. So as a general rule in the financing world, the size of a company is defined by its net worth, okay? So the more valuable a company is, that gets parallel to its size, okay? So Apple is a big company, okay? Because it's the most valuable company in the world at the, mo- at the moment, okay? So size is determined by its net worth on the stock market. So companies are then organized into one of four categories based on their size, which is just their net worth. So the first group is mega cap, okay? So these are the biggest And these are companies worth more than $200 billion. Okay, so Apple, uh, Netflix, Google, um, Amazon, Facebook, they're all over $200 billion, okay? Large cap companies are the next tier down and they're from $10 billion to $200 billion, okay? So, uh, for example, Twitter, that's worth $20 billion. Snapchat's worth $20 billion. So they're on kind of the small, lower side of the large cap thing, uh, but they're just some examples. And then we have mid cap, that's the next tier down, and that's from two to $10 billion worth. And then the tier down after that is small cap, which is under $2 billion in size. So we need to know this because a bunch of the Vanguard ETFs have these words in their names. Now, I know I've said in the past that smaller companies give you bigger returns, but there are they're also more likely to collapse. They're more risky. So because with ETFs, we don't, we're not, we don't know what we're investing in specifically, right? If I'm investing in Apple years and years ago, and I'm like, I'm confident Apple, you know, it's, it's, it's a small cap company. It's, a, it's worth only a billion dollars right now, but I am very confident that that will do well. Okay. That's very different to going, oh, this ETF of a bunch of small cap companies, I'm very confident that will all do well. You don't know that because you don't know the companies within them. So what I do is, is when I'm investing in my ETFs, I am mostly investing in the mega cap and large cap ones, okay? But remember, there's no hard and fast rules, okay? You can have a bit of everything if you like, right? You don't have to completely exclude the small cap ones. Maybe you'll have $2,000 in large cap, $2,000 $2,000 in mega cap and just $500 in the small cap, you know, just to see, do whatever. Okay. Um, but yeah, you, you don't, in investing, you don't have to fully say, no, I'm not investing in that at all. You can just invest a smaller amount into that because you're less confident or you don't like it as much as your other ones. And then the companies you love the most, the stocks you love the most, you put more money in because you're more confident. So that's the first word, cap which means capitalization, and there's mega, large, medium, and small. I suggest investing mainly in mega and large, but the choice is yours. The next two words we need to learn are growth and value, 
Okay, growth growth stocks are stocks that are growing fast. Okay, they they're all about growing. Um, yeah. So these companies they grow their sales real fast, which when done re- when done correctly leads to big returns in their stock prices. However, the main downside to these growth stocks are that they are expensive. Okay, everyone just looks at the numbers, right? You could be a stock in, you know, you could be a company that does electronic signatures, right? And if you post 100% growth, everyone will love you, okay? Regardless of, you know, not saying it's a flawed business model, but I'm saying regardless of what the actual company does, with growth, investors just look at the percentage numbers, their eyes just see money bags and they go all in. So the prices are usually very expensive, okay? Everyone sees the big growth they're doing in their numbers and so everyone knows the big potential of these stocks, so they're usually expensive. So that's growth stocks. Growing fast, expensive, usually the hot trendy stocks, which I don't like to invest in. Um, Value is the other term you need to know here and this refers to investing in companies that are cheap, okay? These companies usually aren't growing very fast because if they were growing really fast, it'd be a growth stock. Um, and the reason there's these two terms is that there's a lot of competition on Wall Street between these two groups, okay? Because most investors identify as being either a growth investor or a value investor, okay? And these two always get compared, um, and there's always tension between them. I personally, I err on the side of value stocks, and it's because of this. I believe that risk Okay, when it comes to stocks, I believe that risk is the risk of losing money. Okay, it's the risk of losing money. Okay, and the risk of you losing money depends on the price you pay for that stock, which is why I'm really, I always emphasize the price you pay. Okay, and the concept is simple. Follow me. So if you pay a rock bottom price for a stock, okay, it's more likely to go up than it is to go down because it's already so low. If you've bought it at absolute peanuts and we'll learn ways to know what price you're paying for it and how cheap or expensive it is. If it's already so low, how much lower can it get, right? If you buy it at its bottom, bottom price, unless that company's going to go bankrupt to zero, which we wouldn't invest in it in that case. But if we're paying a rock bottom price for a good company, then it, the only way for it to go is up, okay? It, it reverts to the mean. Whereas if you pay a really high price for a stock, it's more likely to go down than it is to go up, okay? Um, a really good example of this is Zoom, okay? Before coronavirus, you know, Zoom was doing well, but it was an expensive growth stock. Like I'm talking one of the most expensive stocks on the stock market, okay? And so what happened was is... So that was right before the coronavirus, very expensive stock. And then coronavirus happened, okay? And now the entire planet uses Zoom. But what has happened to the Zoom stock price? You know, it's gone up 100% from that absolute bottom. So you've doubled your money, which sounds really good. But if you look at pretty much every, if you look at pretty much every um, technology stock, they all fell in half and then doubled again. So really on a comparable basis, Zoom has done about as good as all the other stocks after the coronavirus crash, even though now the entire world is using Zoom. So can you see that? If So what I'm trying to say is Zoom stock hasn't grown heaps, right? Hasn't grown heaps despite everyone in the world using it now because it was so highly priced before. 
Okay, and that's the danger of investing in those expensive stocks is that they are much. They don't. If if unless you get in really early, if you get in when they're expensive, the chances of it going higher above that, even if the whole world starts using that product, it's 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 not that big of a gain. Okay, so that's my rant. So that's why I like value stocks because the odds are in your favor. And it also limits your downside risk, okay? With those growth stocks, if you pay a ridiculously high price for it, so for example, Afterpay was trading at like $40 a share before coronavirus and it fell to $8. So you lost like 75% of your money in a couple of weeks. So that's how big the downside is for those guys. Whereas another value stock I invested in, you know, it was trading at 50 cents a share before coronavirus and it fell to 45 cents a share because that was its absolute bottom. It can't go below that. So your downside risk gets limited. So that's why I like value stocks. The odds are in your favor. They don't fall as far when things go wrong. Um, I definitely do also like growth stocks, but only when I'm absolutely certain that the stock's going to do well. Okay, so back in 2013, where I saw everyone getting Netflix and there was memes about it, I was really certain just by hearing about it so much from people I knew that Netflix was going to continue to grow and succeed. Whereas in value stocks, if you get it wrong, even if you get it wrong, your downside is so limited that because you're already buying them at rock bottom prices, it means that you can be wrong and you won't lose a lot of money for that mistake, which I like. To me, that is the definition of risk, okay? is how much money are you potentially going to lose if things go wrong. So, sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent there. So that was just all about growth and value, okay? You're going to see these words in the ETFs. Growth means expensive, growing fast. Value means very cheap, probably not growing as fast. So next, we have to learn about two names, okay? They're just names. Don't be freaked out by it. Um, And that's S&P and Russell, S&P stands for Standard and Poor. It's just a name, exactly like Russell's just a name. Don't give it too much attention. Um, In the Vanguard ETFs, there'll be some um, with one of these two names and then followed by a number. And all that means is, so for example, the Russell 2000 ETF is going to invest in the top 2000 largest stocks. Remembering largest means net worth in the US. Okay, The S&P 500 ETF is going to invest in the top 500 largest stocks in the US, okay? So the names S&P and Russell both mean the largest companies in the US and then the number that follows it tells you what number of the largest ones it's going to include. Um, And then Vanguard like to make it a little more complex and they start combining all the terms we've learned today, but you can decipher it based on what we know. So for example, S&P mid-cap 400 growth ETF, okay? That just means... The S&P 400, that just means the top 400 largest companies in the mid-cap space, so that's between 2 and $10 billion, and their growth companies, okay? Um, so we can decipher those, but to be honest, I'd just stay away from these more complex ones for now. Um, they will come in handy later. I'd stick with the big ones, the mega cap, large cap, you know, top 500, whatever. Um, And then Vanguard also offers ETFs, which invest exclusively outside the US. Um, So this brings us to our last new name for today, and that's FTSE, pronounced FTSE. This is again just a name, so ignore it. It pretty much just tells you that it's an international outside the US ETF. And they have All World, which is everywhere, Europe, 
which is Europe companies only, and Pacific, which is Asia and Australian companies only. So to recap the names we've learned about today, cap means size, okay? Market cap means size slash net worth. Value means cheap stocks that don't grow much but have limited downside risk. Growth means expensive stocks that are more risk and more reward. S&P and Russell are just names, meaning the top largest stocks. And FTSE just means outside the US international exposure. So everything we've discussed today is for Vanguard ETFs in the US stock market, which I believe are better. And through interactive brokers, it's easy to invest in the US market. The Vanguard ETFs in the Australian market are really simplistic, okay? Not that it's a bad thing, but it means you can figure out what they are from their name without any deciphering needed, okay? You might need to use a few of the things we learned about today, but it's pretty easy. So hopefully we're not too bored yet because we're right near the death of this episode on ETFs. So we've learned about Vanguard versus the niche or the non-Vanguard ETFs learned about navigating all the names, and now it's time to learn when and how to buy ETFs. So this is the easy part. For Vanguard ETFs, remember, we're just looking to get into the stock market with those 9 to 10% average returns, okay? We aren't waiting for opportunities here. We're just getting in as early and frequently as possible. To do this, budget your month or your week and put some money aside for investing in ETFs, okay? And at the end of each month or week, buy as many of your chosen ETF as you can with that money, okay? Just do this every month or week, regardless of what stock price are doing, okay? Don't try and time the market. Don't try and jump in when it's cheap or high. With these ETFs, if you just do it at the end of every month or every week, it doesn't matter when you buy it, okay? Remember that the US stock exchanges open at 11.30 p.m. Australian time, or the Australian Stock Exchange opens at 10 a.m. Australian time and the Australian one closes at 4 p.m. Australian time. Um, So if you want the US ones, you'll have to stay up a bit. If you want the Australian ones, you don't. So for the niche non-Vanguard ETFs, okay, we're waiting for a downturn in a specific industry, which will then lead to a decent drop. I'd wait for like a 15% drop in that ETF and then I'd start looking to buy into them. So that's it for this week. Good stuff for those who survived to the end. I know it was a long episode. The rest of them won't be like this. This week, I just wanted to get all about ETFs done in one hit. Next week, we're going to start diving into the main focus of this podcast, which is individual stocks. All right, see you then. Also, just a legal side note, I'm not your financial advisor, and this is me not giving you financial advice. It's purely for educational and entertainment purposes. Unfortunately, I don't know your personal financial situation. So please seek a professional financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Have a good week, guys.